I was opening for NWA. And I'm in this part of America, Ohio, like that, but I've never been before. And there's 7,000 people. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this ain't going to go well. Here it comes. Here it comes. You're listening to Fresh Era, where we tell stories of the legends of the golden era of hip hop. Each episode, we bring you stories from the pioneers themselves as we dive deep into their lives, their struggles, and what it was like to be a part of the most popular form of music before it was mainstream. I'm your host, Craig Smith. On today's episode, we're diving deep into the life of Chubb Rock. His name is known far and wide in hip-hop, and he is the archetype of an intelligent, positive, strong MC. As a result, he became one of the most notable rappers of the golden era. We're about to take a journey from Chubb Rock's early days in Brooklyn to his big break and the tragedies that drove him away from hip-hop. My father had a pretty decent vinyl collection that exposed me to a lot of music that was before my time. One of the records that stood out the most had a green background behind a larger-than-life guy standing next to the words, The One. I dropped the needle on this record and my world changed forever. The guy on the cover of this album who was spitting these rapid-fire lyrics was the one and only... Chubb Rock, but my uh, legal name is Richard Simpson. He was born in Brooklyn and grew up with Jamaican parents as the second youngest of seven kids. My father was a jeweler. My mother and all of her sisters were in the medical field. By the time I was born in New York, Martin Luther King was just assassinated a month early. Tensions were high all across the country, and it was a particularly rough time to be black in America. This was still the era of segregation and blatant racial discrimination. If you were uh, a Caribbean black person, oh, it was 10 times harder to, to rent anything. So my mother, they, they remember a time being homeless. And not homeless because they didn't have the money to pay. Homeless because no one would rent them anything. They all kind of lived in Prospect Park in Brooklyn for a little while. My mother would tell me stories about her just sleeping in my father's lap while he's, you know, protection. Despite the setbacks at the time, they were able to get on their feet with the help of family and their community. We had a very good childhood because the Caribbean community, they all stick together. There, there is no such thing as... I'm going to loan you money. It's, okay, you need money now. I can hold off. And that Caribbean culture was woven into the fabric of their lives. He was growing up in a world that didn't know what hip-hop was yet. So obviously, the music in Chubb's house was... Only Caribbean music. That's it. Bob Marley, Dennis Miller, Gregory Isaacs, Burning Spear. You know, not really any American music. I really wanted to be more of an entertainer, like an actor. Because when I was in school, I had some very nice teachers, and we would put on plays. They just liked how I was able to command the stage whenever I did my part, no matter if it was a small part, big part. I was a big fan of um, Mel Blanc and his voice, because he did all the cartoons. You know, Bugs Bunny was the voice of Bugs Bunny and everybody else. And What's up, Doc? But then, you know, you coming up from Brooklyn, you, there's no way in the world you see opportunities for a voiceover actor. There's like no opportunities, right? (laughs) You don't even know where to start on a situation like that. But even without looming opportunities in the entertainment world that he wanted to be a part of, it seems like the universe just had him covered. There's nothing better and there's no bigger gift than inspiration. So when people inspire you, man, it's like money, man. It's, It's a currency. It's like, wait a second, I can do that. Look what they did, you know? For me, when the Fat Boys came out, which was young guys my age from 
15 minutes up the road. He was like, wait, 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 wait. And as time went on, hip-hop started to bubble in New York. It had started to gain popularity in the Bronx and soon found its way into his world of Brooklyn by way of another soon-to-be hip-hop legend, his cousin Howie, also known as Hitman Howie T. Me and Hitman Howie T is all about coolin'. It's funny because he went to the same school that Busta and Jay-Z went to, which was a technical school. When he went there, he got involved with knowing all electrical things and, of course, like, he would take apart things, put them back together and all this other kind of stuff. So then he started DJing. Literally, he became like the big DJ in our neighborhood in Flatbush. He had a, a crew called CD3, basically Count Disco 3. And they made a record called Get Tough. This was a big record in New York. Because that time was like extremely electric, right? Because it's like this new genre of music made by us, right? Young cats from the hood and you're like... What's going on here? This validated that there was more to be discovered with this new form of music, but he still needed to see it for himself. New York had this thing called the New York Rap Awards, and it was at the Roxy. And this was unprecedented, right? Because we're barely understanding rap music at this point, right? But it was the Rap Awards. It was hosted by Chuck Leonard. It was incredible. And on that lineup was Fearless 4. As long as every time is on the Fearless 4. CD3. Master Don and the Funk Committee. Pebbly Pool. Dougie Fresh, no song. He just had a lumberjack shirt on and was beatboxing. <laughs> and I got a chance to watch hip hop, man, and it blew my mind. But when we left there, all we were talking about is how we're going to be in a group. We're going to create a group and we're going into hip hop. One of my friends named Stan Desire, and he was a dancer, but his cousin was Kango Kid from UTFO. So then he said, yo, Rich, let's make a record. Let's try to make a record. I was like, cool. And we were writing every day and, you know, coming up with routines. And he's the one who actually named me Chub Rock. Then he brought me to meet Kango. And Kango and them was like the big time dancers of the neighborhood. They were legendary. I mean, been on television and everything. Him and Doc Ice. Then they became dancers for Houdini, and then they made their own record, you know, with Roxanne, Roxanne. So when I was trying to get some demos done, Howie's basement was like the studio of the neighborhood. There was these two guys first, and it was a guy named Little Sean and named Terry T, and they were doing this song called How to Rock a Party. They invite him to be a part of the record, he records, and nothing. They shop it around, but nobody's biting. But then Doc Ice was like, bruh, I'm going to help you make a record. We're going to go buy Howie's and we're going to find something. And around this time, Run DMC was making waves with this mixture of hip-hop and rock and roll. I could wait to And Howie had found this rock and roll lick, and Doc Ice came up with the hook, which was just saying rock and roll, dude. But he liked the way I would say it. And then I did the rhyme. And through his connection with UTFO, he grabbed the attention of Select Records. So Select became kind of like the home of this vibe here. They got me a deal there, and that was the single. And as we proceed the ill, don't even try. Rhythms like this are invented by Howie T. Rock and roll, dude. And it's funny because the record really didn't do well at all. The biggest part of it is that Terminator X used it to scratch in Rebel Without a Pause. When he says, Terminator X, X. 
That's my record he was scratching up. So that became more popular than the song itself. Select Records was like, no, 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 I like the kid, man. Let's go in and do the album. Go in and do an album. And we did the album. How, how can I put this? We followed the president of the company instead of following us, right? Because he wanted us to go to a big-time studio to do the record. We worked better in our environment, which was Howie's basement. But instead, we followed what he said. This is what he wanted. He's paying the bills for it. It wasn't the right record. I liked the record, but it wasn't the right record. Because also, me and Howie had this thing where, at, at that time, everybody in hip-hop was taking James Brown samples. And we didn't want to take no James Browns. We wanted to use 808s and play music. So that's what we did. But it still wasn't enough to pop. And by this time, it's the mid-80s, and hip-hop still hasn't proven a viable career path. Chubb Rock at this point is still a teenager, and you would imagine, being a smart kid, school would have been just as promising, if not more. Given the enormous risks and the amount of stress his parents had gone through to provide him a stable life, how would they feel about so much of his effort being put toward music? My mom had an opportunity when she was younger. At lunchtime, she would go to Central Park and kind of sit down, and this lady came by and was like, oh my God, you're beautiful. You need to be in this movie. You have the, the Caribbean accent that we're looking for. Get on a plane and do the... And she was like, oh, I can't do that. I'm having a baby and this and that and boom. I, no, no, I'm, no, I can't do that. So she never did it. There was always a little piece of her that always wondered what if. She would always bring this story back up. So I'm like, yo, Ma, are you, are you upset that you chose motherhood? She would say, no, no. I, I just always think about it, though. I wonder. So when it came time for me, when I was in school, doing the dorm college thing, and I went to her and my father and said, it, it really seems like I have a, a, a nice opportunity here. And my father was like, yo, man, if that's what you feel, school ain't going nowhere. You know what I'm saying? You could, you could do that blindfolded. And my mother was like, oh, yeah. And that support was just what he needed for the opportunities that were starting to become available like never before. With the bumpy start, there was nowhere else to go but up. But glass ceilings and hip-hop were yet to be shattered, and Chubb Rock wasn't going to bump into them silently. When we come back, Chubb Rock hits the top. Then he goes international and almost doesn't come back. Listen, nobody cares when the War of 1812 was fought or how many states there are in the U.S. We all know that there are 52, I think. What we really care about is which famous gangster rapper actually started as a backup dancer or how many ladies per capita love Cool James. This is Magic Most, host of the new classic hip-hop gamecast, Headspin, brought to you by Stupid Fly. Our first show launches on Wednesday, June 30th, but you can subscribe today. Headspin, the world's first and greatest golden era hip-hop gamecast. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. 
connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Welcome back. At this point in Chub Rock's journey, he's still a teenager. And through his connections with Howie T and UTFO, he has a record deal with Select Records. But his first single, Rock and Roll Dude, and his self-titled album weren't the breakout success he had hoped for. But no matter what, he was able to keep pushing with the incredible support of his family. Like my first show in D.C., Cap Center, my mother made my outfit. My aunt came up with my sneakers, and the other one came with this, and Rich. Maybe you should wear a hat and maybe do this. And do this. So here's who's on the show. The headline of the show was Dougie Fresh. Six minutes, Dougie Fresh, y'all. Salt and Pepper. Salt and Pepper's here. Heavy D. The Spanish Baton with Heavy D. Rob Bass. I'm Rob Bass and I came to get down. And then because of UTFO, I was able to open for that second show. So literally, my first show was 19,000 people. But there's only a couple of hundred in there by the time I'm in. Nonetheless, this experience was electrifying. He was finally able to see how people were reacting to the records. Rock and roll dude aside, he was actually gaining a fan base, but it wasn't on the East Coast. DJ Innovator, which was the first single off the album, did extremely well in an area of America I've never been to in my life. The Midwest, so Ohio, Milwaukee. and Do I know this? No. But I was opening for N.W.A., And I'm in this part of America, Ohio, like that, but I've never been before. And there's 7,000 people out there. I'm like, oh, yeah, this ain't going to go well. You know, they they don't know me in here. And then I put on Rock and Roll, dude. They don't know that record. I do This Is So Hard. They don't know that record. When I do DJ Innovator, the place explodes. He's always keeping it, man, a DJ Innovator. I'm a DJ Innovator. I'm a DJ and then you have these guys that are headlining the show, N.W.A., that I never heard of. And it's like Michael Jackson is on the stage there. What am I missing here? You know, because right there you're thinking, if it ain't rocking in New York, you just make the assumption it ain't rocking nowhere. But then, you know, you always want to be successful at home. As talented as he was, and even with an album circulating in most small markets, Chubb Rock still had yet to become a well-renowned MC. Maybe he couldn't see it at the time, but he was indeed building towards his moment. And you can never predict your moment. It just happens. Sometimes when you least expect it. Sometimes when you don't even believe it's happening. I got frustrated one night, and I grabbed a bunch of records, and I went to a studio, um, a guy who was like a surfer kind of guy. Named Questar Welch in Brooklyn. And I was like, Questar, man, I'm gonna try to do a remix to one of these records. Because at this point, the label didn't say they were giving me another album yet. And I'm thinking maybe they, they might not because it isn't like this record really sold anything. And I had a song on my album called Caught Up. My nickname now is Mona the Rover. She looks like a dog, so I dogged it on the sofa. For some dumb reason, though, it was fun. Now she's looking good to me. I'm caught up, part one. And then I try to remix that record on my own. People told me that I was the first one to do this, but most remixes are a remix of the original record. The different music, but you still take the original record. My remix only used the name of the song because everything was different. Four. Know what's in store? Sing to the king, then take the boar to the crib. Before she can't think again, how I knocked the boots from here to Michigan, I'm caught up. 
Music was different, hook was different, rhymes were different. And then came the unexpected. That became a very big underground hit record for New York, Philly, Connecticut, Washington, D.C. And, 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 I, and I swear to you, I had no idea that it was a hit. His expectation at the time was, if you don't have a video, you're likely not going to have a hit. But fortunately, he was in for a surprise. Greg Riles used to work for Billboard magazine before he worked for Select. And he was just a go-getter. He just called me one day and said, you're doing the Apollo. But Apollo Theater? He said, yeah. When? Tonight. The world-famous Apollo Theater, where dreams are born and legends are made. They're only giving you one song. Do the call-up record. I said, okay. I'm nervous like crazy because, I mean, it's the place where they booed Luther Vandross, right? The best singer on the planet. I get there. Big Daddy Kane is the headliner. Bismarck is on the show. I mean, the, the show is star-studded. So I'm nervous. I'm like, I don't know how this is going to go. And it's almost like rap God heard his cries. So I'm talking to Greg, and we're talking about, I get, okay, Chubb, you're going to do this. They're going, um, Howie's going to put the song on, and then you're going to come. Oh, okay, cool, cool. So Big Daddy Kane comes up to me, and he's like, yo, brother, let me ask you a question. I'm like, yeah. He's like, are you, you're not the Chubb Rock cat, are you? I was like, yeah. He said, yo, I'm a big fan of, of, of your records and your music. I was like, of me? <laughs> I'm like, I'm bugging out of here, right? Because he said, oh, you think I'm joking? You think it's a game? Hold on. So he calls Mr. C over there. And he says, yo, C, what album did I drive you crazy with on tour, on the tour bus? Ah, oh, that Chub Rock Cat. I don't even want to hear the song no more. Hang on, homie, right here. And so Mr. C is like, bruh. That's all he played on the tour bus was that first album of yours. I, I couldn't believe it. And he seen how I was worried, and he was like, you, you worried about this performance? I'm like, wouldn't you be? This is the Apollo. You, are you doing Caught Up tonight? I was like, yeah. They only giving me one song. And he was like, oh, you're straight. That record's going to destroy the building. And I'm looking around, and I'm going to Howie, and I'm like, how, how is that possible? He was like, Rich, man, it ain't always about videos, man. Word of mouth. That's the, that's the real networking, man, of music. So it's time for us to come on. And literally, they say my name. No one says anything yet. And then when Howie drops it, man, crowd goes crazy. I'm performing, flowing, yo, go on. I'm not hot, but I'm hurting while I'm burning warm. I'm like a wizard. I make a blizzard and a storm. Have knowledge from a college with a dorm. And I'm great. I just stood at the side, shaking my head. I was like, wow. I think I might have gotten through a little bit there. So if we take a step back and re-examine the rise of hip-hop, we'll see a lot of records being sold, but not a lot of mainstream recognition. Everyone outside the culture thought that hip-hop would be here for a moment and leave. Even if there was no malicious intent, high-profile award shows had very little tolerance for young black kids rapping at their event, and they barely allowed hip-hop acts at the time to hoist those shiny golden trophies. We were all trying to just show that hip-hop was this legitimate art form because there were very famous R&B legends that thought it was nonsense music, and we weren't able to get a Grammy even though we were selling millions of records 
which is why I wrote And the Winner Is, because it was a, it was a jab to the Grammys. That's why the Grammys are whack. Our records rock from coast to coast. Let Houdini a whistle be the host. And so they took that frustration and turned it into Chub Rock's second album, And the Winner Is. This time, they had learned a creative lesson from their last process. So they convinced Fred Munau, owner of Select Records, to let them go back to where they were most comfortable. They allowed us to, to do it in Howie's basement. Fred wanted to put out the Grammys as the first song, as this jab to the Grammys. He put it out on a promotional level that went to just radio, and people wrote it up really nice, thought it was funny. We did a bunch of shows on a singular basis, but no tour yet. And it's during these one-off shows that the label gets the idea to spread the word about Chub Rock internationally. They send him over to the UK on a promotional run. What could go wrong? First time overseas, it was seven shows. And when we flew over, we landed, got to the hotel. The show was the next day, and the next morning, it was like this monsoon of storms. And all the shows got canceled. So the crew was upset. They were like, man, I guess we're going back to New York. So everybody went back, but I stayed because my mom was like, you know, we got some family in England. So I said, yeah, I'll stay another day or two or whatever. The promoter of the show, who was also Jamaican, he was like, Chubb, if you're staying a couple of days to see your family, I'll take you around. You can stay with me, and I'm going to try to find some shows for you while you're here. So the storm ended maybe two, three days later, and I stayed in England for a month. It was beautiful, man. At one point, I thought I was going to move there. I'm going to different places, meeting people. They had these incredible record stores. And here's how an unfortunate set of events turns into a win. The record store was called the Time is Right Record Store, and it was on 11 Chapel Market. And I was just grabbing old breakbeats and records and samples. and I'm like, oh, jeez, I got the whole album ready right now. Once again, his perseverance paid off. The experience of getting out of the States allowed for him to stumble upon a gold mine in the biggest hit of his career. When we come back, Chub Rock goes back to New York, back to Howie T, and into the stratosphere. Plus, the unfortunate tragedies that eventually drove Chub Rock out of the rap game. <laughs> Let me clear my throat. I am the legendary DJ Cool, and I'm here to tell you about a new Stupid Fly podcast I'm on called Headspin, the classic hip-hop trivia gamecast. Headspin! Come listen as two golden era gladiators compete head-to-head to see who will be victorious in their knowledge of completely useless hip-hop trivia. Headspin! The winner will go home with cold hard cash, while the loser will be forced to spin the dreaded hip-hop wheel of consequences. Headspin premieres June 30th with new episodes every Wednesday after. Make sure to subscribe now on Apple, Spotify, Audible, or wherever you get your podcasts and follow at Headspin Game Show to get in on the action. Headspin, the only classic hip-hop game cast. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. 
after releasing his second album, and the winner is. Chubb Rock is a fan favorite, but he's still not where he wants to be. He suspects that the label might have had higher hopes for his record. So after a devastating storm cancels his plans for a promotional tour in the UK, Chubb Rock goes digging in the crates. He finds the records that he will use to create his next album. When I went back to New York, and Howie was like, yo, man, I thought you was going to move out there. I said, brother, we could do the whole album in five, six days. I got everything, and I played him everything. Hang on the treat him right sample. Boom. Boom, doom, doom, doom. Hang on this part. I'm playing him everything. He's like, go back to England, yo. Before every album, go there. Gave him two, three bags of the records, showed it to him, left. Three, four days later, he's driving his car down my street. Play, he was playing just the two of us. I'm like, that's what you did to it? It's lovely. He said, oh, no, no, you didn't hear nothing yet. Remember the, the fast record you wanted to do? He put the love thing, you treat me right, hook in there. Treat me right, I'll be good to you. So he played it. And I'm like, I'm ready. 1990, Chubb Rock jumps upon the scene with a lean and a pocket full of green. The green doesn't symbolize, I made it on the top, but RoboCop last year was a shot. We knocked out that album in eight days. When we were mixing Treat Him Right, Dougie Fresh was there. Every time we would play, the record would play, Dougie Fresh would jump up off the couch. And he would just be like, that's gonna be your record. He was, he, he was, he was so adamant about it. We put the record out, and nothing was happening. I remember going to my mother saying, this is really a good record, yo. I don't get it. I don't get it. She's like, don't worry about it. Things are going to turn around. It takes people a certain time to digest music. And this by this time, Select is ready to go on to the next single. It seemed once again that he was going to need something miraculous to happen in order to save his momentum and keep the record label happy. One day, a friend of Select Records A&R, Greg Riles, gave him a call. She wanted Chubb Rock Center Stage in San Francisco at KMEL Summer Jam. KMEL Summer Jam Weekend. The biggest concert on the planet. We fly out to California, our first time ever going there, 20-something, 30-something thousand people. I, I can't even remember what number that was. And because she had the connection, they were playing the song already on that station. So when I get there to do the show, Treat It Right came on, it was gone. And it was so out of the ordinary of what happened. Again, Chubb Rock was a hit. California was buzzing, and the word was spreading. And then somehow it got to the producer of the Arsenio Hall Show. The one. This is Chubb Rock. We do the Arsenio Hall Show, and literally that's when that record took off. So his mom was right, and the moment was finally here, and he began touring, playing historically black colleges all around the country. This led him back to California for another appearance on the Arsenio Hall Show when another stroke of good fortune hit. There's a place on Sunset Boulevard, I don't even know if it's there anymore, called Carney's. It's literally a train car that sells burgers and hot dogs. We're in there joking around, and there's a lady in there. And she says, your voice sounds so familiar to me. You sing? Do you do voiceovers? What do you do? I said, well, I make some rap records. And she says, wait a second, Chubb? I said, yeah. She leaves to make a phone call, and when she comes back, she says, you're going to do Soul Train today. And I'm like, Don Cornelius and women and, like, today? Yup. By chance, Chubb Rock had stumbled upon one of the producers of America's favorite dance party. Soul Train. 
television's longest-running music format. So I'm like, you know, we had a flight to leave up out of here because we came to do Arsenio, and Arsenio taped early. And we were still in school. We were all still in school. I'm like, yo, we got to get back to go to school. And the way Soul Train was taped, there's a bunch of artists there taping, and they're going to use it for various days. But time was running out. They needed to make their flight back to college, and they had no money to exchange tickets. So we get there, and we're getting nervous because we're like, yo, the flight's going to leave. And Don Cornelius was not a fan of hip-hop. So we go to Don Cornelius like, sir, we have to get a body. Ah, oh, you hip-hop guys. Sir, we don't mean no disrespect. This is the opportunity of a lifetime, but we have to get back. Why? What's so important than doing soul training? We got to go back to school. <laughs> he was like, what? Y'all was, there ain't no school, guys. So we're showing him our school IDs. And he's like, you guys are in school. All right, all right no, no, no. We're going to take care of you guys. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And he got one of the cars to take us to the airport, like, right after. Take my guys here. These are my school guys. Make sure you, you, you take them to... Take them to the Watchman. The Chubb Rock Train was going at full speed, and there looked to be no end in sight. America was dancing to the sound of Treat Em Right, and the record label was happy. His success was proving that you could be black, educated, positive, and still the coolest guy in the room. At this point, he's no longer rich from Brooklyn, hoping to get some love from New York. He's the world-renowned Chubb Rock. When, you know, you go into your regular local store and people are like, yo, Chubb, and Chubb, what are you doing around here? Yo, B, I've been living here since, I'm, since the 70s. And most rappers had to let you know exactly who they were with their presentation. Gold chains, fancy cars, Gucci sweatsuits. It was their way of showing success in spite of their circumstances. Blowing money fast might have been attractive to a lot of people, but that was never his M.O. My mother controlled my money from the beginning. Because she was just good with that. And she opened up our family bar and restaurant. We weren't dressers. We weren't fancy dressers. And and uh, uh, I need to have the fly car thing. I'm telling you, my mother would say, oh, you're your father's son. He wasn't into jewelry, but did jewelry. And I wasn't into jewelry. My mother would buy it for me. Yo, I bought this Nefertiti necklace for you. With the continual support of his family, he was still going strong. And now, he wasn't just doing one-off shows. There were full-on tours. The first tour I went on ever was EPMD. Down to the side of EPMD. Gangstar. Did it just to get a rap. DJ Quick. My name is Quick and I'm smooth. Second to none, AMG. Craig Mack was EPMD's roadie. We went everywhere many months. It was incredible. And then literally, it wasn't much after that tour that we went back out and it was Ice Cube's tour. So it was Ice Cube, us, Luke Skywalker was on that tour, Poison Clan. It was during one of these tours that a new opportunity presented itself. He had topped the charts and traveled with his own music, but he couldn't imagine how his talent would eventually lend itself to others. We had a show in Philly, me, Gangstar, and Finesse Quince. Finesse and Sinquist, a female rap duo that was signed to Uptown Records headed by the legendary Andre Harrell. We're all sharing a bus to go out to do the show, and they're like, Chubb, yo, Andre might give us an album. Because at that time, they only had the single out, the Soul Sisters single. And they were like, yo, we want you to write some of these records. Who told you that I write? Because it's not something I advertise. So I said, cool. And they said, there's a guy that I know I went to school with, and him and his boy, they're trying to get their production thing going. You you, you want to maybe mingle with them? They gave me the address, and I went over there, and I had some records with me and stuff like that. And I met Frankie, and I met Alex Richburg, 
Pokey came over, and then Tone was there, and I told Tone this idea I had. It was like this long 18-hour thing. None of us was into sleeping. We were just working on stuff or whatever. It just all seemed to come together. So he, Pokey, Tone, Frank, also known as Nitty, and Alex Richburg crafted two songs for Finesse and Sinquiz. The next step, taking it to Andre Harrell. I went to go meet Andre. He wanted to meet me, and he said, Chubb, I don't got a lot of money. I got $20,000 to do the whole album. You want me to write the whole album? He's like, write the whole album, do the whole album. Who do you need for producers? We got Pete Rock, we got this, we got that, we got that. And I said, well, I like these cats because they're good guys and we seem to work well with each other. Andre Harrell was in. With his blessing to use the newly formed production team, they thought they should formalize the arrangement. I think it was either Frankie or Tone came up with the name. They would come to be known as the Trackmasters. They went on to produce hits for the likes of 50 Cent, Jay-Z, and Will Smith. But as he was writing and producing for other artists... Select Records was like, hey, bruh, you gotta come back. You know, we need another record here because people are urging for another record and because of the success of this record, we can sell two, three hundred thousand if we just put out hi-hats on you right now. So just, just get back and get it done. I didn't like the rush of it. They, they were rushing because they seen how quick we was able to put together the Treat Em Right album. Yo, 10, 12 days, we need this record, blah, blah, blah. We already got the cover ready. We got, let's, let's, let's go. And I'm like, yo, I don't want to rush like this. But nevertheless, Chubb Rock's fourth studio album, I Gotta Get Mine, Yo, was released in fall 1992. And despite Chubb Rock's reservations about the album, it was still a good album. And it sold pretty well. Then I started doing shows, but then I kind of got into more of the production. And then for a little while, man, I kind of left hip-hop alone. It was a time I was going to go back to school and finish that and do... The, and this was a, like a lot of different things. And then it was unfortunate, man. I woke up one day and I seen that Biggie was killed. That really bothered me, man. Like, I was like, this is hip-hop, man. This is, this is supposed to be music, man. You know what I'm saying? This ain't supposed to have nothing to do with violence, man. It really threw me off, man. I was just like... I don't, I don't even want to do hip-hop. So even with his record of success, Chubb Rock decides to take some time away. It was my mom and the head of Select Records that was like, maybe you can change that vibe. What am I going to be now? Like a rapping John Lewis? It ain't going to happen. But they, they kind of put it on me, and we did a record called The Mind, which Easy Moby was one of the producers on there. And Easy Moby did literally 90% of Biggie's first album, Ready to Die. And he says, you're an activist. People need these kinds of lyrics. It might not even win, but we keep giving it to them. We're going to keep giving it to them. So we did the Mind record. We didn't really get any national hit off that album. Lyricists loved the album. Literally after that is when I got introduced and the opportunity to do broadcast. It's incredible to think about how it all panned out. Initially, his pie-in-the-sky dream was to be a theatrical entertainer using his voice. Never did he imagine that the road that he was on would take him so far in a totally different direction, only to bring him right back to his childhood dream. Incredible journey. I wouldn't ask to do anything different. I think my mom, for 90% of it, and my father, he never said no to me. Having parents like that was the blessing. I would tell friends, man, I was, I was probably driving my mother crazy with that music, man. And she was like, no. I loved every minute of it. And she had, she had to explain it to me. Like, with all the things that would happen to young black guys, when she heard beats down there, she knew that we were safe. We were, we were downstairs. And as far as his contribution to the culture... You know something? 
when you're doing hip-hop, you don't even know what your contribution is, man. It's people that tell you what it is. And what people have always told me was, yo, Chubb, you always kept it positive, man. Music that you can then go and play for your kids and let them rock to it. It's a legacy that lives strong and shows how successful you can be by sticking to your values, leaning on your support system, and pushing through the tough times. Chubb Rock still has millions of fans all around the globe, and he's currently living out his dream in broadcasting. Fresh Era is a Stupid Fly production, written and edited by me, Craig Smith, and refined by the phenomenal DJ Cheap Shot. Chris Barnett makes sure we don't look like idiots. Remixed by Sean Berman. Music by The Math Club. Art designed by Michael Bonanno. You can find us on social media at Stupid Fly Media, but the best place to go is stupid-fly.com, where you can learn more about us and get you some Stupid Fly merch. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. We'll see you on the next episode of Fresh Era.